our first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 to 21. You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Do not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof divided in two and that chews the cud. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a split hoof completely divided, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the coney. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a split hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you. The pig is also unclean. Although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Of all the creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. But anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat. For you, it is unclean. You may eat any clean bird, but these you may not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite, any kind of falcon, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the cormorant, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects that swarm are unclean to you. Do not eat them. But any winged creature that is clean, you may eat. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to an alien living in any of your towns, and he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. But you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And our second reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. This is God's word. Thank you, Hannah. And uh, Deuteronomy 14 is one of those to keep open for now. We'll get there in a bit. We'll talk about the gammon that you've got in the oven at home. That'll be fine. Uh, my name's Richard. Uh, welcome again this morning. It's good to have you with us. Let's, let's pray as we come again to God's word. Our Father, we praise you that it's true, as we've prayed in the collect, that the Spirit governs and sanctifies his church. We pray that he would do that now that he would speak through his word, that he would govern, that he would rule, that he would sanctify, that he would clean us, change us for the honour of Jesus. We pray that your word, your name, would be honoured among us as we gather together under your word. Amen. Well, the question I'd like us to leave today thinking about is this question. How's my driving? I don't mean my driving, I mean our driving, really. And I don't mean driving. Uh, Let me explain what I do mean. But how's our driving? That's going to be the question. 
See, I just moved up to North London, uh, Bounds Green. So if you know the area, it's just by the North Circular. And so trips to IKEA and B&Q, picking up the furniture you need, having just moved into a house, I've spent in the last two weeks enough time for a lifetime on the North Circular. And I used to think that drivers in central London were bad. I love them. Now that I've spent time on the North Circular, which based on the last two weeks of experience, they're far, far worse up there. It's got to the point that I have come close for the first time in my adult life to phoning the number on the back of the van. You know, how's my driving? And it's got the number there. I've actually come close to phoning and telling someone how they're driving in. Which is, in some ways, a slightly odd sticker if you think of it. How's my driving? I mean, you wouldn't like to work there. They're not going to get a load of people phoning up saying, they were great. I just wanted to say thank you for the way they calmly indicated and let me pull out in front of them. It's going to be a phone line that gets nothing but complaints. I guess probably they're just hoping that the car's zoomed off so quickly you never see the number. But it seems like an odd question to ask. How's my driving? You don't really want to know. Except, of course, the companies who are sending out those vans know that their name is plastered on the side. And so you don't just get cut up by a dodgy van driver. You get cut up by Tesco. Or you get cut up by Eskimo Ice or whoever it is, driving things around. And they know that's not going to go well for them. You get cut up one too many times by Tesco, you say, fine, I'm going to Sainsbury's next time I've had it. The companies know that these vans that are zooming around, bearing their name on the side, represent them. What they do reflects on the company. And the third commandment, the third of the Ten Commandments that we're thinking about this morning, will tell us that as Christians, we bear God's name. We drive around life, as it were, with his name plastered on the side of a van. And so the question, how's my driving, doesn't just reflect on me or my family or even my church. The question, how's my driving, how do I live? What do people think of me, the way I relate to them? That's going to reflect on God. It's his name that's plastered on the side of our van, if you like. Our driving is going to reflect on him. If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know that over the summer, we're looking as a church at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules, or the summary, really, of the law that God gave to Israel just before they came into the Promised Land. So Moses is preaching for the last time before he dies, telling the people, this is how you live, as God's people saved, loved by God, this is how you live. This is how you follow him, this is how you honour him. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it's week number three, so we're looking for the next 25 minutes at the third commandment, which you may know is this. The NIV translates it as, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Actually, I've put on the top of, uh, on the back of the service sheet, there's a bit of an outline of what we're go- where we're going. And at the top there, I've put a slightly more literal translation, which is this, you shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so to keep things simple, we're just going to work through that commandment phrase by phrase. Uh, You'll see the outline there on the sheet. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's what we're doing. Uh, I'll warn you now, the points get longer as we go, rather than shorter. So you've been warned. We'll start quick and slow down. Uh, But here we go. The first phrase, you shall not bear. As I came to, to think about this commandment, to study it, to get ready to speak on it, If I'm honest, I came to it thinking it is slightly the runt of the litter of the Ten Commandments. I mean, you've got some of them, they're pretty big, they're they're beefy, they're quite intimidating to live up to. 
And then you've got the third commandment, don't misuse God's name. As long as when you hear shocking news, you don't go, oh my God, then you're fine. You can tick that one off and move on to some of the others that are slightly more demanding. That's how I felt as I came to it. But actually, I've seen the idea of bearing God's name, you shall not bear the name of the Lord your God, has far more to it than how you react to shocking news. Bearing, it's, it's a branding word. So a farmer who takes his sheep or cows or whatever and brands his name onto them so people know they're his. Or, or more common in the culture of the day, the master who brands his name onto a slave, onto his head or onto his arm. A master who says, this slave is mine. And then the slave goes about all day with his master's name on him. And as he buys and sells and negotiates and talks and works, he does it all on behalf of the master. And in fact, for most of the, the town or wherever they live, the, the, the traders in the village, they might not know the master, they know the slave. The slave is the public face of the master. You see someone going around with the master's name on it, and your opinion on the master is based on how he behaves. That's why I found myself, two weeks ago, to my surprise, literally bearing the name of the Lord as I travelled around London. Uh, we'd just been away, it was the Revive weekend away for our family of churches. I'd been doing some children's work there, and for a visual, had some massive cardboard boxes with the name Jesus stamped on them, because he's the cornerstone of the church in Ephesians 2. Uh, but these massive cardboard boxes with Jesus stamped on them, and because we were moving house, I wanted them, and so kindly someone brought them back to London in a car, and then gave them to me here, and I had a tube ride home, we flat-packed them, but then with these massive pieces of flat cardboard, essentially, with Jesus plastered on the side. And so I was walking down Piccadilly, bearing the name of the Lord, which is fine. I got some odd looks, but it's London. You see weirder things before breakfast. Uh, and then I got on the tube. Now, it wasn't rush hour, but it, it wasn't quiet. And you know how sometimes you're on the tube and that guy tries to get on, who's got you know, the, the, the full-size suitcase you can fit a person inside, or the double base, and they're trying to get it on through. I was that guy. Except actually, Jesus was that guy. It was Jesus, as I was bearing his name, who was getting in people's faces and blocking the door as they were trying to get out and jamming into people's knees. And I was thinking, as I was going, I probably should have taken the name off first. <laughs> this isn't great advertising for the Lord. Of course, that's a silly example, but it did slightly drive home to me. That is, for everyone here who's a Christian, it's not that visible, it's not that obvious, but that is the reality every day. We bear the name of the Lord. We carry him as we go. People see us and make an opinion of him. So I put that on the sheet, Deuteronomy 28. This was true for Israel. Uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses says to the people... All the peoples will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. Israel, God's people, were called by his name. They bore it wherever we go. And the same is true for Christians. Just last week, Abby was baptised down here into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Abby now bears God's name wherever she goes. So does every baptised Christian, baptised into that name, carrying God's name where we go. So the deal isn't that we wake up in the morning and think, this morning, today, shall I bear God's name or not bear God's name? Like, shall I wear the blue trousers or the black trousers? Now you wake up bearing God's name if you're a Christian. That's not a decision you can make. The decision to make every day is, will I bear God's name well? Or will I bear God's name in vain? Badly. 
That's the decision the third commandment is about and will help us with. But actually, just before we get there to thinking about what it means to bear that name in vain, we need to pause on the second phrase of the commandment, the name of the Lord your God. Because before we know what it is to bear this name well or badly, we need to know what the name is, what it stands for, and represents and means. So some, many will know that to Israel, God revealed his name as Yahweh. Now, slightly disappointingly, you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. If you read through to this Bible that we have here, you won't find the name Yahweh. Because actually, out of respect for this commandment, a desire to honour God's name, the Jews wouldn't say it. They wouldn't write it with a pen that had been used for other words. And so over time, the, the name Yahweh, God's name, just got substituted for the Lord. So they'd come across, they'd be reading, did it at Yahweh, oh, I better not say that out loud, I'll just say the Lord. And our English translations have followed that tradition. So whenever you see the Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament, you could just read it as Yahweh. That's what the original Hebrew says, it's God's name that he's revealed. So it was out of respect for the name that it got substituted for the Lord. But in some senses, I think it's a bit of a shame. Because it hides some of the intimacy and closeness and friendship that Yahweh wants to have with his people. Uh, Imagine, imagine that, uh, I don't know, your team at work does something astonishingly good and you get invited to a garden party at Buckingham Palace. So you turn up in your big hat if you're a woman, because that's the law, uh, and there you are with the Queen, and there's canapes going around and champagne, and you're chatting with a friend, and suddenly you feel a hand on your shoulder, and you turn around, and there is the Queen, who says, would you like to come for a private tour? Come and see the private wing, come and see where we live, no one's allowed to go there. I say, okay. Uh, so off you go with the Queen, and you, and just a couple of bodyguards to make sure you don't do anything stupid, and you're being shown around... And she's showing you these chandeliers and these knickknacks given by long-dead rulers. And you realise it's been about ten minutes and you've said nothing. Because what are you going to say? You're going to say something stupid, but you've got to say something. So eventually you stammer out. Your majesty... Cut off. Don't call me that. Call me Liz. My friends call me Liz. Come and see the bedroom. Imagine calling the Queen of England and the Commonwealth Liz. Well, the God who made everything out of nothing, the God who the highest angels worship, the God who holds the past and the future in his hands says, don't call me sir or lord. You don't even have to call me God if you don't want. You can call me Yahweh. That's my name. That's what my friends call me. Call me Yahweh. But actually, it's one step better than being able to call the Queen Liz. Because the name Liz, I mean, there's nothing particularly special about it, with no offence to Liz's here. Uh, You are wonderful, but the name is, it's, it's a name like any other. Whereas the name Yahweh is not like any other. I'm going to read just a handful of verses from the Old Testament that speak about Yahweh's name. Just listen to what this name is like. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I'll proclaim the name of Yahweh, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. 
And his name will be magnified forever, saying, Yahweh of hosts is God over Israel. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. As we heard at the start of the service, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. The name of Yahweh... It is, it's his character, it represents him. Sometimes in the Bible it stands for him. The name is worshipped because it's so close to him. The name, Yahweh, his personal name that he shared and revealed. But of course for Christians, and it goes one step better again, because Christians have the astonishing privilege of knowing the name of the Lord Jesus. So again, just a handful of verses. Listen to what the New Testament says about the name of Jesus. Jesus himself says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Repentance and forgiveness of sins we proclaimed in his name to all nations. To all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Just calling on this name means anyone will be saved. Or lastly, in Philippians 2, Therefore God has exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The name of Jesus. In all of that, Glory and wonder and power and goodness isn't just revealed to Christians so we can know it, so we can call on it. But Christians bear it. Christians have that name with us and on us every minute of every day of every week. That is the privilege of being a Christian, of having his name stamped, if you like, on us, branded. We bear that name. Which is a great privilege, but then also is a big responsibility, which is why you get the third part of the commandment. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. For, as it goes on, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So for a little bit, we need to think about what would it mean to bear this name, the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus, in vain. And in some ways, these three, in some ways, they're slightly arbitrary. The Bible takes this in lots of different directions, what it means to bear the name well or badly. Uh, but three we're going to look at. Things swearing, speaking, separating. Uh, we'll look at those three in turn. As the first, swearing, which is not about using the word God or Jesus as a swear word. In fact, I was surprised as I looked at it. I can't find a single command instruction in the Bible not to do that. Which, as I was thinking about it, I assume is because Moses and the other authors just wouldn't have considered it. Given everything that's true of the name of Jesus, the name of Yahweh that we've just heard, the idea of reducing it onto the level of four-letter word for sex or feces, it just, I imagine it wouldn't have crossed their mind. So anyway, that's not what we mean by swearing. The most direct meaning of this commandment in the Bible seems to be about swearing oaths, legal setting or something like that. So on the sheet, I've printed Leviticus 19 where the people are told, do not swear falsely by my name, 
and so profane the name of your God. They're not to swear in Yahweh's name, something that they know isn't true or they have no intention of doing. That would drag his name through the mud because he is truthful and that is not. Now, for most of us, it's not common to make oaths uh, for most of us, but if you do find yourself in a legal setting where you're asked to take an oath in God's name, that's the most direct application of this commandment. So do let this commandment make you pause as you do that. Think about what you're going to say. More here would have said marriage vows, possibly here in this room at the front, promising in God's name to love and serve and stick with your spouse. And again, that's no light thing. The Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who bears his name in vain. So swearing, swearing oaths, vows, is the most direct application of this commandment. But actually, Deuteronomy broadens it out more widely to any speech in God's name, any speaking in God's name. Because if you search the Bible for verses about God's name, a huge number of them actually are about prophets. The prophets who speak in God's name. What they say, God says. You have to listen to them like you're listening to God because they speak in his name. They speak for him on his behalf. So Moses in Deuteronomy 18, again, it's there on the sheet. He applies the third commandment like this. A prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I've not commanded him to say, must be put to death. Now, to be clear, in the New Covenant, the church doesn't have the authority that the state of Israel did to kill people. Uh, So we're not going to set up a guillotine and start going on this. But it's a serious warning for them, as it was for us, to speak in God's name something that God hasn't said. He says it's hideous, it's awful. Now, sometimes it's very easy to spot when people are doing that. Uh, Promising things in God's name that he's never promised. Saying things in his name that he's never said. It's the... Uh, the health and wealth now. You name it, you claim it. Anything you want, God will give it to you. Sometimes it's very easy to spot. But I wonder, as I've thought about this, is there a more subtle way that can get into our own thinking and speaking, the things that we say to each other, the things that we say to ourselves in God's name? I wonder if some of the things like this we, we think or we say. Don't worry about that happening. God's in control and he wouldn't let it. I know I shouldn't really be going out with them, but God will understand. He wouldn't want me to be unhappy. I know it's tough to keep putting in application after application, but stick at it. God has the dream job around the corner for you. I wonder if there are ways when actually we can slip into speaking in God's name, attaching God's name to give weight to statements, to promises that God has never said. So speaking in God's name, unless we know what what place of the Bible we're talking about, we want to be very careful to say what God says or thinks or wants, unless he's told us. There's no death penalty for this in the church, but the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who bears his name in vain. So that is swearing, speaking. The third one, separating, which, if I'm honest, isn't a great heading for this. Holiness would have been better if only it started with an S. Uh, But we've got separating. The point, either way, is that those who bear God's name will be separate, will be different, will be holy from the people around them. And so here the commandment gets broadened out way beyond even what we 
say. So the middle chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, we've been saying over the last couple of weeks, are kind of shaped by the Ten Commandments. The chapters 14 to 25 or so, shaped by the Ten. And so the portion that Hannah read for us earlier from Deuteronomy 14 is kind of the bit that corresponds roughly to the Third Commandment. And you'll have noticed when she read it, it's got nothing to do with what we say. It's to do with Israel's diet, with what they ate. So just, uh, if you've dropped it, it'd be worth finding again, page 193. Deuteronomy 14. And it is a little strange that it's not about, it would be a great place to have a section on swearing oaths or speaking in God's name or something like that, but it's this. Which I was helped, one writer commented on it like this. I think this does make sense. A God who governs the kitchen should not be easily forgotten in the rest of life. The point is, bearing God's name has implications for every minute detail. It's not just the big obvious stuff where you say, honest to God, but those who bear God's name will be changed in every detail. He governs the kitchen. He governs everything. So Paul can say in the New Testament, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Deuteronomy 14, we're not going to look at it in detail, but just notice two things here. First, it's bracketed top and bottom by the same phrase. So in verse 2, Deuteronomy 14, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Or again, down at the bottom of that column, uh, the second last paragraph at the end there, verse 21. But you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Top and bottom, bracketing it, you are a holy people, they're being told. Or another way of saying that, you bear God's name. You bear Yahweh's name. So this section is about how those who bear Yahweh's name live as different, as holy And the second thing, just to notice here, is how detailed the instructions are. You'll have heard it when Hannah was reading it, uh, or you might have started tuning out, because they are very detailed. The list of this animal and this bird, but not this animal and not this bird and not that insect. Some insects they ate, fair enough. Um, But there's all these details and lists, so there can't be any mistakes. God wants it to be very clear if you walked into a Jewish kitchen, and it's still true in some Jewish communities today, you walk into a Jewish kitchen, there's no mistaking where you are. This is a place that is different. Because the God whose name is born here is a God who is different, a God who changes his people. So in every detail, down to what's in the kitchen cupboard, the people who bear God's name will have to be different. Now for Christians... Pleased to know. Uh, Jesus, in Mark 7, he does away with these detailed instructions. He says they're not for Christians. Uh, So we don't need to worry particularly about the details here, why it's uh, chewing the card and not not chewing the card. We don't need to worry about the bacon at home. But the principle stands. We honour the third commandment. We honour the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus, by being holy. In the little details of life, right the way down to the smallest things. So I remember reading a few years ago the biography of a Christian leader who became a Christian when he was a student at university. And the way he became a Christian was he had a friend who kept banging on about Jesus. And to shut him up, he said, right, let's put this to the test. I'm going to live with you for two weeks. I'm going to stay in your house. Thank you very much. I'm inviting myself. I'm going to sleep on your sofa. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to go to your lectures. I'm going to hang out with who you hang out. I'm going to be with you every minute, uh, near enough, uh, for two weeks and see And he did, and he was impressed, and he thought, gosh, I've got to look into Jesus, and he became a Christian. 
Because the other student, there was someone who was bearing the name of Jesus in everything he did. So I wonder about, for us, if someone was, slightly odd, uh, to follow you around for two weeks, to follow us around for two weeks, if they saw what we get up to in the kitchen, in the bedroom, in the lounge, whatever it is, would they see something different? Particularly as we gather together in Jesus' name, is there something different? Is it obvious that the people who bear God's name are holy? Actually, I wonder if you're here and you're not a Christian. I wonder if you've ever done something like that. I mean, not that. I think following someone around for two weeks, you don't really get away with that when you're a student and you don't have responsibilities. Uh, but have you ever... Maybe there's a Christian friend you have. Or maybe you started to get to know some people here in the church family. The most important question, if you want to explore Christianity, is what do I make of Jesus? That really is the only question. Is this Jesus... What's he like? Who is he? What do I make of him? But actually, if he is who he claimed that he is, then one of the evidences you'd expect of that is that the people who bear his name, there's something different. It's not perfection. No one would ever claim that, but there is something different you'd expect. So if you do have a Christian friend, you're getting to know people here, you could sniff around, see if that's true. Push a little bit, probe a little bit. And if it is, it's just worth thinking, is it possible that that's not because there's something particular about this friend or this group? Is it possible that's because there's something different about the God whose name they bear? Deuteronomy 14 says, in the smallest details of life, there'll be a difference for those who bear God's name. And the second reading we had this morning, very quickly, 1 Corinthians 5, which don't need to turn to if you don't want, we're just going to look at one verse. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5 it says the same thing explicitly for Christians let me just read Uh, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11 again if I can find it this is what bookmarks are for so Paul says this is from our second reading earlier but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother or literally anyone who bears the name of a brother, but is, and there's this list, is sexually immoral. That's the Christian who's known for sleeping around, even though the God whose name he bears is always faithful to his church. Or greedy. That's the Christian who's known to have the tightest wallet when the charity sponsorship form comes around, even though the God whose name he bears is always generous. An idolater. It's the Christian who's known to live for the next holiday or meal out or purchase even though the God whose name he bears is the source of all life and would give it to him. Or a slanderer. That's the Christian who's known as the first with the latest gossip, whether it's true or not. Even though the God whose name they bear is completely true. Or Paul says a drunkard. The Christian who's known to always be hanging into the last round of drinks. Or a swindler. The Christian who's known to be the one who will lie to the client, just massage the figures to get the deal, even though the God whose name they bear is completely fair and just. Paul says a a Christian who lives like that, who's known for living like that, something has to be done. The church has to do something, has to warn them. Of course, don't miss here, Paul. All of those things can be forgiven, any single one of them. 
He says on the next page, that is what some of you were, but you were washed in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of the Lord Jesus has cleaned us from those things. But the warning stands, someone who is known for these things, if we as a church became known for any of those things, the warning stands, do not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who bears his name in vain. That's the commandment. Just as we finish, the last two minutes, let me show you the last place in the Bible that talks about the name of God. It's in Revelation 19. Again, I'll read it. You can turn it if you want on page 1248, but I'll read it. Revelation 19, where this is a vision of the end of time, where the name of Jesus will be seen and known forever. And this is the name that you hear. John's writing, he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider, it's Jesus, is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire on his head and many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the name of Jesus that will be seen for all eternity when he returns. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Word of God, faithful and true. And on the next page, the final chapter of the Bible, Christians are promised they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. We're back to the slave and the branding. That name, Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, faithful, true, will be on the foreheads of Christians in all eternity. So as much as we try now to bear the name of the Lord well, as much as we have good days and probably more bad days, in the new creation, this commandment can be rephrased as a promise. God promises to the Christian, you will bear the name of Jesus. You will bear his name on your forehead. Presumably not literally, it's the imagery of revelation. You will bear his name, you will carry it with you for all eternity. And that will not be in vain. Because then you'll see him, you'll know him, you'll be like him. You will bear his name and not in vain. Should we pray together? Our Father, as we've prayed already today in the Lord's Prayer, our request is that your name would be honoured among us. Amongst us as individuals as we scatter through the week, among us as a church as we gather, please would this be a place where Yahweh, where Jesus, our words, our names, which are honoured, which are seen to change us, which are seen to be our joy and delight. We thank you, we praise you that these are names that you've not just revealed to us so we know you, but you've given us that we bear. Please would you teach us, please would you help each one of us to bear that name well. Amen.